Hello there! Welcome to Baytag's Cantina, a community for all Star Wars fans. I'm your host, Baytag, a theater major who loves analyzing character development in stories, especially in the Star Wars universe. I'm here to ramble my way across the galaxy and hopefully introduce you to some new outlooks on the beloved franchise. So whether you're a casual fan or a diehard enthusiast, be sure to grab your Spotchka and Mantel mix and let's dive in. Oh my gosh, hello everyone. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since my last episode. I am so sorry. I went through a bout of depression, you know, as one does. And I had a lot of life stuff happening in between, but I am feeling refreshed. Um, also a little disappointed in myself for missing so many weeks. But I am really excited to start talking about Visions Season 2. Now, Vision Season 2 was released on May the 4th and was the follow-up to Vision Season 1. Visions, V-I-S-I-O-N-S, is an animated anthology series, which unless you're like an English art or history buff, you're probably thinking, what the criff does anthology mean? (laughs) So an anthology is a collection of literary works, such as stories, poems, or essays, gathered together in a single volume or compilation. Is that how you say that? Compilation? I don't know. Whatever. These works are typically written by different authors and may be unified by a common theme, genre, or style. In our case, the common theme, genre, or style would be Star Wars and animation. So the stories told in Visions are considered shorts or short films. So think like Pixar's... um, the you know the shorts that they play before like the actual movie so uh pixar has bow or my personal favorite short film that's kind of iconic is knickknack that was a bonus feature on the finding nemo dvd (laughs) um that feels so weird to say because like bonus features were my childhood and now dvds are basically like only on an as-needed basis like oh my guys do you remember when they used to compare like blu-ray in like fucking circuit city (laughs) like you would have the the blu-ray to non-blu-ray comparison of the tvs and they were always playing pirates of the caribbean dead man's chest side by side and you could always tell like the blu-ray the water was so much more vibrant and like oh my gosh okay anyways i'm getting off sorry i digress The stories in Visions are standalone stories. So while there are eight episodes in Visions Season 2, they are not episodic. So that means they are not, um, one episode does not lead into another like The Mandalorian. Uh, Visions Season 1, super great. Season 1 had nine episodes. Um, not Those nine episodes were created by nine different Japanese animation studios. And Vision Season 2 has eight episodes, like I said earlier. And these episodes were created by eight different studios from around the world, which I really love this idea of showcasing different animation studios. And I would really love to learn more about the process that Lucasfilm goes through to select these studios. Um, I do know that we can thank Kathleen Kennedy. Yes, you heard me say that correctly. We can thank Kathleen Kennedy for Visions as she was the main cheerleader for bringing animated Star Wars to life. 
And we're going to go cross fandom here for a second. If you're a huge fan of Studio Ghibli, you'll be surprised to know that Kathleen Kennedy was actually a huge reason why Studio Ghibli gained traction in the United States. Her shared production company with her husband, Frank Marshall, known as the Kennedy Marshall Company, go figure, has helped produce the American versions of From Up on Poppy Hill, Ponyo, and one of my personal faves, The Secret World of Arietti. So while we're on this little Kathleen Kennedy rabbit trail, I wanted to bring her up because there are a lot of toxic Star Wars fans who really just love to, um, what's the way to say it? to bantha poodoo all over Kathleen Kennedy. And look, I get it, okay? The sequel's not my favorite. Not the best. Rise of Skywalker, I refuse to talk about that movie because I just... It was a lot to unpack for my brain. And I saw that movie three times in the theaters, okay? I spent money on that movie in the theaters. I gave it a chance, and I still struggle with it to this day. (laughs) But I digress, all right? We need to talk about Kathleen Kennedy. Um, This woman, she worked at Amblin, okay? Remember E.T., the one film that won four Oscars? She was a producer for that movie. And she was also a producer for Jurassic Park. So the next time we want to bantha poodoo all over her, let's remember that she's been a part of some of our favorite movies. She's also helped produce all three Back to the Future movies. She was the executive producer on The Goonies. Yeah, how are you going to shit on The Goonies, you know? Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, another one of my favorites. I love that film. Super iconic. And then, of course, she was an executive producer for Schindler's List. I'd like to see you try to shit on that one. Um, And she's also worked on so many other films. She has also worked with very talented directors, such as Steven Spielberg, David Fincher, Robert Zemeckis, M. Night Shyamalan, Richard Donner, and of course, the one we all know and love, George Lucas. So the next time you hear somebody shitting on Kathleen Kennedy, like, she's still worthy of her title, you know? And she should be recognized for all of her hard work. She has had a very long career. She's... She's done this her whole life, you know? She she knows what she's doing, guys. And let's be real, okay? If some of us were put in charge of managing an entire, okay, entire global company while also helping to produce multiple films, shows, and shorts, approving merchandising, helping design Disney parks, you heard me right, Kathleen Kennedy has been helping design Disney parks, um... Meanwhile, some of y'all call out of work just because you don't feel like showing up that day. So I'm not saying that you couldn't be Kathleen Kennedy. I'm just saying the next time you're eating your Doritos on the couch saying, oh my God, Kathleen Kennedy ruined Star Wars. Think about it for a minute, okay? (laughs) So I digress. Let's talk about visions. So, as I said earlier, there are eight episodes in season two, which means we have eight different animation studios from around the world, and those studios are going to be located in Spain, Ireland, Chile, the UK, South Korea, France, India, Japan, and South Africa, okay? So I'm going to talk about each of these studios with their respected episodes, but for this episode... Let's finally get to the freaking point. <laughs> like, stars, guys. I, I really ramble a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, anyways, Visions Season 2 opens strong with an episode titled Sith. 
Now, Sith is the first episode of Vision Season 2 and was created by a little studio called El Guri, spelled E-L-G-U-I-R-I, which is located in the country of Spain. El Guri is located in the beautiful capital city, Madrid, and is a relatively small animation studio with 11 to 50 employees. Now, here's a little bit of fun knowledge for you. In Spain, the Spanish slang word guri means that you're a tourist. The El Guri website says, in our opinion, it highlights the beauty of migration and diversity in the animation industry. The animation industry is a melting pot of talent from all over the world. Just take a look at the credits of your favorite film. So embrace your inner Giri and enjoy the magic of exploring new places and cultures. Isn't that so wholesome? I love that analogy. I think that's so, like, that's on their website. That's, like, their whole thing, you know. Um, I love that. I think that's great. So, Sith was animated by El Guri Studios and was written and directed by perhaps a familiar name to some of you, Rodrigo Blas. Rodrigo Blas is an Emmy Award-winning director who has spent more than 20 years in animation, After co-founding Stromboli Animation in 1997, Bloss joined Blue Sky Studios in 2000, working on a throwback film that I'd like to, you know, talk about for just a a second, Ice Age, and then he transitioned to Pixar Animation Studios. There he worked on, you know, just a couple of popular movies like Finding Nemo, 2003, The Incredibles, 2004, Ratatouille, 2007, and Wally 2008 and on the Oscar nominated short film La Luna 2011 more recently Bloss partnered with Guillermo del Toro to develop the award-winning series Troll Hunters and in 2021 he created El Guri Studios in Madrid with his partner Cecil I hope that's right Cecil Cecilia I think it's Cecil, Cecil Hoax, and also wrote and directed 2009's award-winning short film, Alma. In short, this guy has been very busy for two decades. I should also mention that George Lucas is also credited in the very first, this episode, Sith, for writing alongside Rodrigo Bloss. Now, I did find an article from StarWars.com titled Meet the Visionaries, Rodrigo Bloss on the Colorful, Intense World of Sith, which was written by Brandon Winerdy, where Bloss talks about receiving the phone call from Jackie Lopez, who happens to be the vice president of production at Lucasfilms and an executive producer of Visions. He says, that phone call was a true time travel moment for me, transporting me all the way back to when I first saw the original trilogy. I was able to watch those Star Wars movies in the theaters, but it was really when I was re-watching them for my brother's VHS tapes that they really transformed me. He also asked himself, I had a serious conversation with myself. Could I pay respect to the mythology that I loved, but also be bold? Could I explore different things visually that I've always wanted to explore in animation? Now, see, I love this quote because Rodrigo isn't pining over, oh my gosh, like I just, I just got sold on doing Star Wars and you know, like how do I, how do I make something that resonates with the fan base or like how do I, I want to do this to impress and like wow everybody, you know, no, this man was so humble. He was so focused on his work that his first thought is, okay, I know I have this skill set and I have the opportunity of a lifetime. So how can I blend my skill set with a preset narrative to come up with something that challenges me? 
There is no sense of arrogance from this man, along with no sense of complacency or the need to do something he's already done 20 times before. And I love that. I feel like sometimes for creatives, we forget that we have a space to grow and learn. And this is exactly what Bloss saw for his opportunity with Sith. Now, Sith stars two voiced characters, one named Lola, who is voiced by Ursula Corbero, and a mysterious Sith Lord who is vo- <laughs> sorry, voiced by Luis Tosar. Now, I'm not going to lie to you guys, okay? I'm always going to keep it real. When I watched Sith the first time, I was a little underwhelmed. But I really think it was because I didn't understand the messaging the first time that I saw it. And after I started doing more research for this podcast um, on like researching El Giri Studios and Rodrigo Bloss, I went back and I watched Sith for a second time. And the second time around is actually when it clicked for me. So let's talk through some moments that stuck out to me. And if you haven't seen Sith, you can feel free to uh, peace out of this podcast to avoid the spoilers. Or if you don't care, or if you have already seen it, feel free to keep listening. So first of all, let's go over a short synopsis of Sith, which I 100% stole from our good friends at Wikipedia. Um, Love Wikipedia is coming clutch for me many a times. Um... (laughs) Thank you, Wikipedia, for existing. So the episode opens with a spherical droid named E2 rolling through the corridors of a house. It enters a door and slides down a flight of stairs into a bedroom. A human woman with a cybernetic arm named Lola is resting and breathing anxiously on her bed. The droid extends three crab-like legs and makes comforting gestures towards <laughs> towards Lola. She reassures E2 that she was just experiencing a bad dream. <laughs> Guys, it's really it's always so fun to see how Wikipedia's synopsises read versus how I interpret things. Um, that's like definitely one of my favorite things to do. Um, so the first thing that stood out to me in this opening is that as E2 rolls us through what we seem to make out as a ship or a building, it's the first thing that stuck out to me was the color choice. And I have no idea if this was intentional or just a random choice, but the colors that they use to shade the outline of the background were, they felt intentional to me. So, uh, First of all, if you haven't seen this episode that I'm talking about, as E2 rolls through the background, it's kind of like a white and black outline of most of the background and the scenery. But then there, there's these splotches um, used to shade in where like a door frame would be or a shadow. And the colors that were used to highlight the space were orange, pink, and purple. Now, these colors represent very different things in cinema, and I feel like the orange represented a nostalgic feeling. Wes Anderson tends to use orange a lot in his films, um, so just for reference. Um, Pink can also represent a lot of things, um, like love, femininity. (laughs) That's a hard word for me to say. Femininity. Femininity. 
whatever. You know what I'm saying? And romance. And I feel like uh, I can totally see this color working for Lola, the main character. And while I don't believe we ever get like her pronouns, Lola does have a sense of feminine beauty about her. And I believe the pink hues fill in for us that Lola is on a self-love journey, you know? Now, purple can be tricky, uh, but given the context from Sith, I like to think that the purple colors represented transformation, spirituality, and power. Um, colors are super important in film, and that is something that I will discuss a lot on this podcast. And you may not realize it, but every single color choice in a film, television show, or animated work is intentional. From the scenery to the color of the clothing to the colors of the props, everything is intentional, okay? Um, I also really love that we see in this opening sequence how soft and kind Lola is with the droid, E2. She assures him that she was just dreaming, and this gives us a, the impression that, like, Lola obviously isn't the Sith here because, you know, she's nice. And as the scene progresses, E2 seems to comfort Lola, and we learn that Lola is a painter. Surprise, surprise! That makes total sense with the art style in this film um, and the use of color. Uh, now, to say Lola <laughs> and E2, um, this this next sequence was a bit confusing for me, but I, I really like how Wikipedia described it, but I'm just going to tell you what I thought was going on, okay? So, E2 and Lola, you know, she assures him she was just having a dream, and she's like, all right, gotta get up, start the day, you know? So, what better way to start the day than make <laughs> their way to the kitchen so Lola can make coffee or tea, or paint. Uh, she's a paint Keurig, question mark? I honestly don't know how else to say it, um, or how to describe what she's doing in this scene, but it's like she goes to brew herself a morning calf, and then makes paint come out of the water holder, or maybe she's just like Jesus turning water into paint, but I don't know. This whole scene made me a little confused, but here's the synopsis as told by Wikipedia. (laughs) We learn that there is an eclipse approaching, and that Lola hopes to finish her painting, Uh, Real quick, if you don't know anything about the symbolism of eclipses, it's often referred to as a dramatic tool that the universe, the universe, first, (laughs) sorry, the universe uses to get us to pay attention to areas in our life that might need change. So if you ever see a movie with an eclipse, just know that it's, it's generally a symbolic way of saying like hey you need to look at your life and see you know like there's an area here that needs to change so anyways back to the wikipedia synopsis um with the help of e2 she gets a glob of paint from a paint mixer she opens the container which releases multicolored bubbles lola attempts to grasp the bubbles but they turn black she lets go of the bubbles which splatter on the white surfaces Lola and E2 then exit the building to explore the surrounding garden. So that that's much better than the explanation that I gave. Um, but I really do think that this sequence is important and can tell us a lot about the animators and Lola. In the StarWars.com article I mentioned earlier, Rodrigo Blas also talks about this sequence specifically. He says, I really wanted to dig in and make something that felt real, like you were inhabiting that space, especially through how we showcase technology. One of the things that I love in Star Wars is that certain props or sets don't work quite right, requiring someone to hit it like the Millennium Falcon's engine. 
These are small things that make those characters human and relatable. So one specific example that he gave is, for instance, when the tea is not falling, referring to this paint Keurig or paint mixer as Wikipedia, you know, defines it. Uh, For instance, when the tea is not falling, the droid must touch, like, the coffee cup again for it to finish brewing. It makes it all tangible and palpable, which that totally makes sense. And I remember um, I took a a character development class um, for, I was touring a college campus, and they were doing, like, a free animation seminar, and I went. And during that seminar, they were talking about character development, and we talked about how animators will observe people um, in all areas at the mall, at the park, you know, just to get ideas for mannerisms for their characters. And actually, if you watch the Disney documentary called Frank and Ollie on Disney+, Plus, you will learn more about how these mannerisms are necessary for us to be able to relate to animated characters. That's a really great documentary, by the way. It might make you cry, but it's good. 10 out of 10 recommend. Anyhow, Rodrigo calls it tea. I thought it was coffee, and Wikipedia says it's a paint mixer, so who the hell knows what it is. Lola and E2 start brewing something when she opens the lid to this space Keurig, releasing a colorful bubble menagerie. Save that five times fast. (laughs) She uses the force to try and manipulate them, and we get the sense that she's trying to keep the color of the bubbles, but instead, they turn black and explode all over her kitchen, which, like... If that had been me, I probably would have had a little Kylo Ren temper tantrum. (laughs) But this girl, Lola, she turns around and admires her work all over her cabinets. She's like, you know what? Wow, that's great. I did a great job. And I would have lost my ever-loving mind. But you go, sis. That is some (laughs) strong optimism right there. And you know what? Maybe that also tells us more about Lola. She's a go-with-the-flow, not afraid of making mistakes, mistakes kind of a gal, you know? And another thing that makes me wonder about this sequence is her using the force. So we know that using the force through the dark side is different from using the force regularly. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, read some Star Wars books because it's the force tapping into the force through the regular light side of the force is significantly different and harder than tapping into the dark side. The dark side is easier to fall into and that is why Jedi have to strive to stay in the light side. So as we see Lola struggling to use the force to keep these bubbles from changing color to the dark color, Um, I wonder if we're seeing her practice with the Force, you know, instead of perhaps tapping into the dark side. So anyways, back to the story. They climb through the garden while marveling at her surroundings. Lola and E2 find a flight of stairs that lead them into a tunnel. So in this sequence, there is a really cool element which I only happened to catch the second time around. And this is when Lola and E2 are making their way through the garden to reach what looks like a super sketchy staircase in the middle of nowhere (laughs) with a blackened doorway awaiting them ominously at the top of the stairs. So as Lola transcends the stairs, um, there's a long hallway at the, like once she gets up to the doorway, the doorway leads into a long hallway, and this hallway is black, like completely blackened, completely dark. 
Um, and we can tell that, like, she's kind of, she's, she's being a little timid about this. So she walks through this hallway and splotches of red start leaking from the ceiling. And we also see the eyes of a Sith above the hallway as if they're looking down through the hallway's ceiling at her. And we kind of get the sense that, like, she's probably being watched by someone. (laughs) Um, so... Her and E2 make their way through this hallway and they finally enter a white room where Lola's mural is on one side of the room. Now there are splotches of color throughout this whole room. There's paint cans littering the floor and the partially finished mural which appears to have some black creeping into the frame of the painting. Now, what I thought was super symbolic of this scene was how she crossed through this space of darkness and uncertainty to get to the place where she was creating something beautiful. And I thought that was super symbolic because we all know that, like, Sometimes we have to get through through shit to get to the shine, and that's so symbolic of our life, but this is also really symbolic for the ongoing theme we've been getting in Star Wars, which is the persistent, um, I guess the persistent, what is the word I'm looking for? There's a persistent messaging of light and dark living in the same space together. And many characters in Star Wars have had to embrace darkness or go through darkness to find their balance again. So I really, I just really loved the symbolism visually. It was, it was, um, it was very nice. It was a nice touch. So Lola proceeds to work on this mural, which she starts splattering bright colors. She's doing her thing. And, you know, as she's painting, the black paint is starting to bleed into her color. So she tries to wipe it away. And as she tries to wipe away the darkness, it starts smudging her mural. And at that moment, Lola is disturbed by a sensor alert um, from whatever object or building she's living in. There is a sensor alert from something called Beacon 8. Now, she believes that this sensor is going off because a meteor has hit this sensor on whatever planet she's staying on. So she goes to this sick ride. I just hit my elbow. That hurt really bad. (laughs) Sorry. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, so we see Lola. She's She talks to E2 and she's like, oh my gosh, you know, a meteorite hit this sensor again. We got to go out and check it. Miss Lola takes her pretty little self over to her wheel bike. Now, I was so excited to see a wheel bike. We have not seen a wheel bike since General Grievous. And like, I don't know what it is, but I just love wheel bikes. I think they're great. We need to bring bring back the wheel bikes, okay? Better than those. <laughs> it's so bad. But it's better than those cheesy speeders from Book of Boba Fett. And before you come for me to get mad at me on that, I know that that, is, that whole sequence in the Book of Boba Fett is a nod to George Lucas because he also was like... I'm pretty sure he did a movie called Drive about custom, like, cars in the 50s or whatever. So that whole corny, like, speeder bike thing, that's, you know, whatever. (laughs) But I want the wheel bikes back, okay? 
So they get on this wheel bike and something that happens, which we can reference the quote that I gave from Rodrigo Bloss about adding in elements where things aren't working right. Um, you know, like the Millennium Falcon with the engine. She goes to get on her wheel bike and it's not starting and she looks at E2 and E2's like, girl, you know, we got a whole pipe that's coming out of the bottom here. So they have to shove the uh, repulsor lift on her wheel bike back up into the body frame so that then she can start her wheel bike, which, you know, that's just another little element of like, not everything is going to go perfectly, you know? So I digress. <laughs> they ride the wheel bike up a high hill and we get to see the landscape, like the actual landscape of this planet for the first time. It's very sandy, gray, white those are the color scheme <laughs> peach colors um it gives the impression that this could be like a very mountainous slash desert region and as lola approaches beacon eight she sees that it has not been damaged by a meteorite nay nay it has been damaged by a lightsaber so from behind we then see a masked sith master with glowing yellow and red eyes where did we see that before in the hallway uh he's standing behind her just waiting for her to turn around like a creep and he is also accompanied by several figures in red armor so this sith is the same one from the hallway the sith approaches lola and says that she made a promise to which she replies i'm no sith anymore which becomes like the aha moment of holy crap she was a Sith, but she's not a Sith anymore. Uh, so anyways, this Sith Lord, who is accompanied by what appears to be two other droids slash bounty hunters, um, they're, th that to me is just kind of comical. Like, this Sith Lord really hired two bounty hunters to help take out Lola. Like, is she hella powerful or something? Is she the next Palpatine? Like, why did this Sith Master feel the need to hire two bounty hunters? Like, bro, chill the, chill the hell out. <laughs> so anyways, as Lola counters the Sith Lord, the whole scenery begins to shift in color, which is really cool. Again, going back to that color, color is intentional um, messaging that I'm trying to subliminally give you. <laughs> We watch the coloration go from this soft, gentle, you know, peach colors, gray, sandy, white, um, gray scenery to an aggressive layering of reds, yellows, and orange. And this is why at this point I'm starting to realize that the scenery that's being shown is tied to Lola's feelings in a way. And it's almost like she knows it's time for her to face her past. So there's this whole fight that ensues between Lola E2, the Sith Lord, and his bounty hunters. Again, my favorite part of this whole fight is Lola's monocycle. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know why I was so excited to see a monocycle again. But her and E2 absolutely kick ass, okay? She takes out these bounty hunters, one of the bounty hunters, with a set of mounted turret guns on the monocycle double fisting turret guns on the mon like are you kidding are you kidding me she didn't even hesitate not she didn't even miss a bump in the road she was driving well i guess e2 technically took over for a little bit but it was it was incredible 
Now, the Siths, um, droids slash bounty hunters, whatever you want to call them, they have jetpacks, so they're pursuing Lola through this rugged landscape, and after dodging a rocket strike, she uses the turret guns mounted on the wheel bike to shoot down one of, or two of the pursuers, and while fleeing, um, Lola tells E2 that they need to prepare the ship. So, the action in this short was really, really good. It was so smooth, like, the the texture of the paint bursts that they used as the bounty hunters jetpacks were taking off it was just like it was so like mesmerizing to watch on the screen they were like a bright blue color and it looked like someone had just like painted them with a digital spray can it was so cool the animation for this was just beautiful um and i also i always love when they blend the technology of the cgi animation with the look of like hand done painting brush strokes writing like that that has to be my favorite part of star wars rebels clone wars and the bad batch where you can like see a sequence like i'm pretty sure there's one that i'm thinking of in particular in rebels i don't know what episode it is so don't ask me but there's a scene of uh i want to say it's the phantom like flying through some of the clouds and it might be one of the best bin episodes but like the clouds just look like, you, you know it's a painting, but it's, like, they're animated. It's just, like, I have that forever burned in my brain. It's so pretty. And so I always go feral when I can see the, <laughs> the brush strokes or the paint splatters. I love it. So as E2 and Lola approach her garage um, or her home place, whatever this is, where she's been painting and living and drinking weird space coffee, paint, water, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> her and E2... Um, are thrown out of the monocycle and uh, she ends up crashing like totaling this bike and e2 you know there's there's kind of like uh, what do we call it like the 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 standoffs that are so prominent in star wars um we see this standoff going down with one of the bounty hunters lola and e2 lola is down for the count she has just been thrown to the next galaxy over off of her mono bike not really she's you know laying on the ground and e2 is like i'm fuck it we ball i'm protecting her with my life and e2 uses this ridiculously powerful cannon out of nowhere his eye socket like becomes a cannon and he knocks the head clean off of this bounty hunter droid thing that it literally made me laugh out loud it was so fucking funny so, as this bounty hunter gets, you know, blown to oblivion, um, E2 is trying to comfort Lola, and that is when the Sith Master arrives, and he uses the Force, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, he uses the Force to rip apart E2's three legs. Oh, so sad. I always hate when droids get hurt. Like, leave the droids alone. I'm still not over Gigi and Cheap from the last season of... The Clone Wars. I still haven't forgotten about them. Anyways, <laughs> um, so this leaves Lola by herself to face the Sith Lord, and she, you know, she's injured. She gets up and runs into the confines of what we now know is her ship. So we see Lola hide in this dark hallway of the ship, the same hallway that E2 is seen rolling through in the beginning to go comfort Lola from her dream. Um, she's hiding in this in this um, hallway. And we see the Sith Lord enter the ship and start walking down the hallway with a sassy, sassy little lightsaber tip drag action 
down the hallway as he scouts out Lola. And that has to be my favorite part of this sequence, the tip drag. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this probably sounds very dirty, <laughs> but what I'm referring to is another Star Wars term. Tip drag is the action of a lightsaber being dragged across the surface of the ground. I think Kylo Ren has a couple tip drag scenes. Um, I want to say maybe even Anakin. Ah, mm, don't quote me on that. But I think Kylo Ren has a, a tip drag scene. It's meant to give a sense of ominousness. <laughs> That's such a hard word. <laughs> think of like horror movies when the killer drags his weapon on the ground. Like, um, oh my gosh, like uh, Pyramid Head. Um, if you play Dead by Daylight you know what I'm talking about, okay? It creates a sound that's just kind of like nails on a chalkboard, but, like, since it's a lightsaber, it's just satisfying. Um, like, I would love... <laughs> Can we get tip drag ASMR? Like, that would be so cool. <laughs> but um, aside from the actual film terminology, tip drag is a term used by lightsaber enthusiasts. So if you are really big into collecting lightsabers, you probably know this term. There are actually... Um, different lightsaber manufacturers that install a tip drag feature into your lightsaber. Oftentimes, though, I think this is only for the higher end sabers like a NeoPixel or a XenoPixel, which can cost hundreds of dollars. Uh huh. You heard that was, yes, hundreds of dollars. I'm still waiting for my Ahsoka Tano lightsaber set to not cost $800. But I digress. <laughs> The Sith Lord in this scene enters Lola's enters okay enters Lola's dwelling and drags his lightsaber across the floor. Lola confronts him with a yellow lightsaber that she has made herself and the two engage in a fierce lightsaber duel. Now, this duel was also animated really well. It was really beautiful. The sparks looked like um like, I can't even describe it. it. It looked like little paint fractures as they were fighting and clashing the lightsabers. It was really cool. Um, so in the fight, the Sith manages to temporarily blind Lola with these lightsaber sparks and she ends up getting thrown backwards and the sith ma like the Sith master at this point then tells Lola that she belongs by his side where have we heard that before? That's really freaking creepy. Um, but this is the point where he reveals that he was her Sith Lord master. And we kind of have that moment of, oh my God, whoa. But she denies him again by saying that she has found her own path. Now, Miss Lola taking some notes from Ahsoka Tano. We love it. So the Sith Master responds that darkness is her fate, and then he ends up pushing her to the ground, and he tells her that becoming a Sith Master will be her only escape, to which Lola pushes herself up from the floor with her mechanical arm, generating several colored paint bubbles from the floor. She then masters the ability to turn the paint bubbles from colored bubbles to black bubbles but she can do it like of her own volition, whereas before the bubbles were turning colors without her control. So at this point, she realizes that light and darkness are meant to be a part of the painting, the mural that she's working on, and they are both a part of her. So Lola then 
gets a new wind, she charges with her lightsaber, which has now become a double-bladed weapon with a red and yellow lightsaber blade. She strikes her master, cutting him down. At this point, the Sith Master says that Lola has done well, she has become a Sith Master, and Lola replies that she is no Sith. Again, it's giving Ahsoka Tano. We love it. (laughs) So the Sith Master becomes one with the Force. He dissipates, you know, he literally gets Thanos snapped. Uh, (laughs) um, So later on, we get to see, you know, Lola's repairing E2, and the two depart on her starship to find a more welcoming world. As she's leaving the planet, we see that she has finished her mural, which is of a fist holding a yellow and red double-bladed lightsaber, and the mural has both color and darkness in it, representing both the light and dark sides of the Force. So as they fly into space, Lola tells E2 that she is a master now, and she can paint her own destiny. So overall... I thought this short was really informational and symbolic of recent Star Wars messaging that we've been hearing, which is that light and dark coexist together. And I feel like there's a common misconception that in order to be a Sith Lord, you have to be fully dark. When we see that only truly dark Sith, like the only truly dark Sith that is like dead set on the Sith way, I feel is freaking Palpatine, okay? I feel like nobody else is grinding like the devil works hard but she palpatine works harder okay (laughs) even anakin you know he was redeemed in the end which i feel like some people have kind of a hard time of understanding how anakin could come back from being darth vader but i think that is why we're getting more background and information about the force and the dark side of the force uh, if you listen to my last podcast episode, it was a book review of the book Jedi Battle Scars, which follows the story of Cal Kestis and company. Um, and we understand in that book that the dark side is a present feeling in all Jedi, that all Jedi have to fight the dark side. And we even see this with Rey in the sequels. Um, <laughs> yeah, t- do with that information what you will. <laughs> I digress. The other messaging I loved in this short was the conflict shown as an artist. Trying to navigate your art and creation with challenges that come up. I feel like this was talking to me, okay? I I struggled with this episode, okay? I rewrote this episode that you're listening to right now three times because I was having just... I was having problems with the episode. I was having life problems. I was going through depression. And, you know, yeah. So I can definitely relate to the message of trying to navigate your art and creation with the challenges that come up. Um, And I feel like this short was super representative of the creative process and how in our real lives we may have, you know, those internal struggles that come up when you're trying to create something. Um, Overall... I watched Sith twice, and the second time I caught more of the story, and I really enjoyed this short. But I will have to say, I am so excited to talk about the next episode of Visions 2, which is called Screechers Reach. And this episode had me so criffin shook. I really think it's my first, or my it's my favorite episode out of Visions 2. Um, so be sure to tune in soon 
for that episode. And if you don't know how, you can watch Visions 2 on Disney+. Plus. Don't forget, you can follow me on TikTok and Instagram where I am most active. My handle is at Cantina. Also, real quick, I am super excited to announce that the uh, weekend of June 24th and 25th, I will be accompanying Sisterhood of the Traveling Bantha at Oklahoma City's Pop Culture Con. We will be there. Um, Sisterhood of the Traveling Bantha will have a panel at noon that will be titled um, Women of Star Wars. So be sure if you're there, check it out. You won't want to miss it. Um, And just stop by if you're in the area and say, hey, and I will see you again soon for Screechers Reach. Have a criffin' good week, everybody.